0: Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yardena Asband. Our daf of the day, Masachah Psachim, daf Bet, 82. Of course, our daf 82 begins on 81. We've got a Mishnah uh, at the very end of the previous daf that is really the, the precursor, the prelude to everything that's going to come on the first part of Am- Aleph of 82. Uh, and basically, we're talking about wood and how certain impure um, aspects of the Korban Pesach would end up being burnt. So I'm going to read a bit of the Mishnah, but not all of it, and then jump back to back to Ardaf. If most or all of the Korban Pesach was rendered impure, it's burned before the Beit HaMikdash, from the wood of the arrangement. What's the wood of the arrangement? It's the wood that was on the altar that was given, you know, to the the people who brought that Korban Pesach, and that's what it's for. It's for this purpose of burning. But then, if only a smaller portion, a minority of the Korban Pesach uh, was burned, so then, then, then the people need to burn it, but what they burn it with their own wood, and they burn it, on their in their own property, in their courtyards, on their roofs, whatever it's going to be, it's no longer going to be a, a Beit HaMikdash burning because it's less than most of the Korban Pasach. And then, and this is where we're going to talk about this as we get into the Gemara, the tzai kanin, the miserly people who don't want to actually have to expend whatever funds it might take to have their own wood be part of this burning, they would actually come and burn in the Beit HaMikdash in order to benefit from that mara'cha, from the arrangement that's set up on the mizbeach, on the altar for this burning, so the Gemara, you know, of course, jumps right into this, but we're going to skip down. Now I'm on I'm Aleph of Pe- Bet. Specifically, we've got this. The case is the miserly people, which of course is interesting, right? This is the Korban Pesach people. It's a holiday, and yet there's certainly recognition that not everybody is going to be willing to not because they're poor, right, but because they don't want. To spend the money, um, skinflints, right? Like that's the whole idea that there's a personality here that's going to use the beta make dash wood instead of their own wood, rather than rather than invest. We're talking about a case where we've got, a, you know, are are you a visitor or are you a resident, meaning of Yerushalayim, in terms of your rights here? To where are you going to going to burn? Uh, to burn this um, this impure portion of the korban pesach. So they did not set out on the road yet, meaning they're visitors, right? But the visitor can use from the kor, the wood that's on the mizbeach because not because they're misers, but because they they don't live there. Um, but the tzikhanim right? They if you don't have your own wood, then you get treated like a miser because, because of exactly this, they, the, the misers would burn it in the Beit HaMikdash as opposed to on their own property. So that they could get the benefit from the wood of, the, of that formal arrangement. So now, of course, again, I think this is, it's a problematic personality trait, really. The fact that the halacha accommodates it I think is fascinating and, again, speaks to the point of recognizing all of the different ways people need to be keeping halacha, right? So the halacha also addresses them. The Gemara continues, though, because it says, uh, I'm jumping a bit, but if people want to take the wood from that maracha, from that arrangement that's in the Beit HaMikdash, and they want to use it in their own courtyards, you don't listen to them, right? Because what if you would then use that same wood, which is it's, it's holy wood used for this purpose, sure, but not for some other purpose. And so the Gemara says, because what could happen? You could end up using wood. It's wood. It's just in your house. It doesn't look any different. You might end up using it for some other reason. And that would be really a big, a big miss mishap is the nice way to put it, right? That's what I've seen in, in one of the English translations. There are other ways to describe it as well. So then the question is, why couldn't you just burn the the car- the this the impurity, right? Before the misbeh with their own wood. Like say you don't want to burn it in your own courtyard, but you could bring your own wood to the Beit HaMikdash. Not if you're a miser, if you're a regular person and you would make that, you know, make that, I don't know what donation. Why do you need to have the wood be from the mara'cha, from the arrangement that's already there? And alternatively, why do you have to have your own wood if what you're doing is burning it in the in your own home? So, really, the first case is, you know, why is it not? In the, why do you not bring your own wood to the beit hamikdash? and Misha The position is very clear. You don't want to embarrass anybody who doesn't have the means to bring his own wood. Right, the idea is you show up with your korban, you show up with your wood. What if you don't have the money for the wood? It's going to look very obvious, and you show up with a korban without the wood. So the idea is that they they don't want anybody to know who's got who doesn't have the money to do it. Right, that would be an embarrassment for them. Rava Amar So there's a I would say we can look at this, you know, more in a more positive light, a more benefit of the doubt kind of light, or with greater suspicion. And suspicion is exactly the word here that Rava uses. It's because of suspicion. What's the concern? That people would bring their wood. They would burn what they need to. They would have leftovers because they would, of course, bring enough to make sure that they could burn it. And then they would take whatever's left over. They would bring it home. Now, maybe that really is their right because they own it. But it looks like, because this is a chashad, the suspicious the suspicions of others looking at them, taking that wood home, if you leave the Beit HaMikdash holding wood from the Mizbeach, even if it didn't originate with the Mizbeach, you will look like a thief and you look like somebody who's not just stealing wood, you're stealing consecrated wood from the Beit HaMikdash. Even if that's not what you're doing, that's what it looks like you're doing. So the, the idea here is on the one hand, we don't want to embarrass anybody who couldn't bring to the Beit HaMikdash. And on the other hand, we want to make sure that nobody's suspicious of anybody leaving from the Beit HaMikdash with extra wood. Uh, the Gemara does go on here. But this was the point that I thought was really the most, um, the most caring. I think, right? It's a very generous point over what are you supposed to do with this wood? When do you have an obligation for what? Where the halacha seems very clearly to be paying attention to the eyes of the congregation on any, you know, the large congregation at large on any one person and what they're doing and what they're able to do and how they might then feel about it which I think is worthy of a whole lot of attention in just a very few words on the daft.
1: It's an interesting thing that, you know, what they talk about here, this whole thing with the wood. And um, I think the public pressure that's put on on this whole aspect, you know, trying to embarrass certain people or recognizing how public funds could sort of be misused if they're available to people, Um, I think this understands people very well, unfortunately, not, it's not speaking nicely necessarily about people, but I think it understands what people really can be like.
0: Yeah. I mean, and we know this, right. We know this from, uh, you know, we live in the world, we know. Right. And I think
1: like the temple is a shared public space. So you're going to have people who, yeah, they can use it, but they may not be using it exactly the way that it was meant to be used.
0: I think that there's, right, we might fall, I might fall into the trap, let's say, or the the uh, prejudice that if it's about the Beit HaMikdash, well, clearly we're all going to do everything exactly the way it must be done because, hello, it's the temple and it's holy and it's beautiful, and, right? And the answer is, well, people are still people. And the halacha might want to have an ideal where everybody's doing everything exactly right because it's a temple and consecration and so on and then it kind of backs off that and says well we know that there are people who are going to be you know outside of that inner circle of the people who are doing the right thing i don't think it says everybody's gonna be doing the wrong thing
1: no but it but it's interesting to see sort of a section of law being catered to you know that small group that isn't doing the right thing right yeah so i'm going to move on to the next well I mean, this really is the first Mishnah here, but, you know, because the p- previous Mishnah was on the other death, um, which talks about what do we do if the Korban Pesach was taken out of Yerushalayim or becomes kame. And so the Mishnah says, right, right? it was taken out of Yerushalayim. In other words, I don't know, for some reason you packed up some leftovers, um, you know, that you said, oh, I'll eat it in an hour, you know, before you had to finish eating the Korban Pesach, you left it in your pocket or it becomes tame, right, yisraf miat. As soon as you discover it, you basically should burn it right away. Nitzmu ha osha metu, right? But let's say the owners become tame or died, right? Before the korban pesah was actually eaten, tubar to turetot. To so then you leave it for its appearance to change. So, you know, we've seen this concept introduced before, but the idea here is, is that for certain korbanos, right? If something happened to it, we're not going to burn it right away, but instead, we're going to make it until it's under the category of notar, right? Or no in uh, the way I feel like that's one of those words I never say. With I would always say Ashkenazis, but um, but I idea, never would, right? So but no tar. But it's it's the idea is that it's been left over, right? It's past the time of when you're allowed to eat it, and so then you would go ahead and burn it. But that's the idea of saying its appearance must be changed, and that you're not sort of burning the korban you know, when it sort of has its prime meat appearance, like with when the meat looks like when it's supposed to be eaten. But instead, you're burning it when, you know, something has already changed to it. It's leftover meat, basically. So that's what you do for it. The sar, and it should be burned on the 16th. You don't burn it, actually, on the 15th. Rabbi Yochanan Ben Baroka, Omer, so he says, Abzai Yisraf Miad, even this should be burned at once. L'fisha Ein Loachlin. Because nobody's going to eat it, so what are you waiting for? You don't need to make it no tar. In other right, you just should go ahead and burn it basically. And so the Gemara wants to basically figure out, well, what's the source for this, right? That you need to burn uh, these things. So it says, "Bishlamatama," right? It's understandable, right? Tame that if it becomes tame, you're going to burn it, right? "Ketiv v'habasar v'chol tameh lo yechel swap, right? Because it says that basically. Um, explicitly in a pasuk that appears in Vayikra and Parak Zion, uh, pasuketet 17, chapter, uh, uh, verse uh, 19, right? Which is talking about any kudshim kalim. Um, and, um, uh, oh, and maybe we should do that. Do you want to explain what the difference is between kudshim kalim and kudshim kudshim kado- I think that's important for us to clarify here on this stuff.
0: Yeah, sure. I can talk about this. Um the it's again one of those things that we're gonna to come to in another masakha down the road when we get to the literal meat, pardon me, of the karbanot. But um it's one of those things that you have to know everything before you can know anything. So here we go. I'm gonna start with a kod Kodashim, right? Because basically they the kche are simply more lenient and they have more leniencies built into how they are offered. And basically, so I'm gonna say, like here we'll talk about the cut. Koche Kadashim, which is more restrictive. So for example, where you shecht the Koche Kadashim is in the northern side of the Azara. It's very specific. Whereas Kalim, you can do it anywhere in the Azara, right? That's in the in the courtyard of the Beit in the area where these animals were offered, were were slaughtered. Okay. And the Kochekadashim. You have one night and one day or rather one day and one night from when you it. That's the time period that you have to eat it. But for the Koche kalim, again, more lenient, you have two days and one night. It's a lot more time if you would think about what it takes to finish a karban. Right? The koche kadoshim, you can eat it only in the azarah, So that already is going to limit who's participating in the eating of it as well. That's where it's done. Whereas the koche kalim, you eat in your slime anywhere in Jerusalem. So it's a much broader perspective. And who is fit to eat the Kochi Kodashim? Only male Kohanim. So you now you understand it's really a temple sacrifice for those who are in the temple. Whereas Kochi Kodashim Kalim are Kohanim and Yisraelim. And again, they could be anywhere in Yerushalayim. So you've, again, expanded your pool of who's participating here. And then lastly, and this is an interesting discussion point, but for a really another time, the question of who gets the skin of the animal, the hide of the animal is the right word, I'm sorry. Um, so for the Kodje Kodashim, that's Kohanim. And for the Kodje kalam, it goes to the owners of the korban. So all of the details of the Kodje kalam end up being, they're just a bit more lenient in terms of, you know, what specific carbonote. Um, and with this, then, Yodin, I'm going to hand it back to you because we need to spend, we'll spend time delving into these, you know, when we get there. But the Kutche Kodashim, that's the Ola, and the Khatat and the Asham, and the Shalmei Tzibur, and certain Menachot, right? Those are the Korbanot that count as Kotzei And examples of the Kotzei Kalim, you've got a Shalmei Yachid, Korbanot Toda, a Bechor, Maser, and most importantly for us, the Korban Pesach.
1: Right, great. That was a good uh, summary there. So back to our uh, Daf here. So, you know, so basically, right. So the Gemara here is talking about just back. So we go to this uh, Gemara that's really referring to just the Kudshim column. So I think that's important. And and just remember that later, uh, because that comes up again in the depth. But the question here is, but where do we know that if you take it out of the boundary? In other words, if you take it out of Yerushalayim, why would you have to burn it? Maybe you should bury it. Maybe you should, you know, wrap it up nicely and throw it into the garbage. And so the Gemara says, <inaudible> Because it says, um, and now they're going to quote also, this is from Vayikra, but this is Paragud Pasagudchat, chapter 10, verse 18, where it says, Behold, right, the blood was not brought in into the sanctuary within. Now, what this is talking about here is, is that this uh, Pasuk is talking about what happened on the day that the Mishkan was inaugurated, right? Like the Mishkan uh, started to be used and Aaron and his sons, you know, basically become the Kohanim. It's also the same day that Aaron's sons, Nadav and Avihu, went into the Kaddish Kedoshim, right, with, uh, you know, with that incense that they brought and they get burned by fire. So part of what's being discussed here is, you know, what was actually, what were some of the uh, korbanos uh, that were brought with, for that day because of the Mishkan and the Kohanim. It was also Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So you had to bring this Rosh Chodesh Musaf offering. And part of that is a a, a goat, right, a male goat, that's a chatas, which is also brought. Um, and then it's also the, the so, so that's sort of like all this, you know, background stuff that we, that we need to know. Um, and so, Basically, so this pasuk is, for, is from there that's going on, and then the Gemara then relates sort of a conversation between Moshe and Aaron, right? Amar lo Moshe La Aaron. So Moshe says to Aaron, "Madu lo achaltam et haChatat. Why did you not eat this Chatat? Shama ma tamalif nevelifneim. Maybe it's because the blood went into the innermost, uh, you know, the innermost part of the of the sanctuary." Right. So normally the Rosh Chodesh chatas is what we call sort of an outer chatas I guess, would be the way that some of the English commentators explain it. Right. It's it's the, the blood is spilled on the outer Mizbeach. Right. And if that blood is brought inside. Right. It goes sort of past into the inner part of the Beit HaMikdash. It's disqualified and you're not allowed to eat it. So Moshe basically sees that. What did Aaron do? He burned the entire Rosh Chodesh chatas And he's trying to figure out why is it that Mo- that Aaron didn't actually eat it? So you need to really go through, um, you basically have to go to Paragyuda Vayikra and sort of read that whole story there and see what happens there. So, so that's a tip that I would give everybody here. So what does he say back to, so Aaron says back to Moshe, Amar lo left. He says, no. Amar lo shama chutz So Moshe says to him, okay, maybe he went outside of its boundary, right? In other words, maybe it's not, not that the chatas went to the most inner part of the mishkan, but maybe it went outside of the courtyard, which again would disqualify that korban, and you would actually uh, you, and maybe that's why he burned it. Amar lo laba So Aaron says to him, "No, it always was. It was always in the courtyard." Amar iba So Moshe says to him, "Well, if it was in the courtyard, right? Vehain lohu el kodesh panima, right? Then by what you said, right? And then they quote this pasuk, right? The, you know that its blood was not brought into the sanctuary." Right? So therefore, what? It was in its boundary. So why didn't you eat it? So this sort of implies this conversation that had it gone outside of the boundary, or it had gone inside the sanctuary. In other words, if it went one side of the boundary in either way, it would have to be burned. And that's how we learned that when an offering leaves the boundary, it'd have to be burned. Now, what's amazing about this proof is is that essentially it's sort of bringing a conversation that you would really have to read quite deeply into the words. It's not an explicit conversation, but this is the proof that it wants to bring for how do we know that uh, meat that leaves its boundary needs to be burned. Now, the Gemara then is going to go on and actually try to say why this is not necessarily um, a good proof. And again, the proof that it's going to use is talking about the, the coach, the, the Kudshake Doshim versus the Kudshim Kalim. And can you learn things uh, from each of those categories? And that's why, you know, one to the other, but it's interesting that they sort of develop this as a proof. I mean, it's essentially, I don't want to use the word creating a conversation because it's really based on the Pesukim itself, but it's inferring a lot of extra information, which does not appear in the text. Now, just to, and then, and we'll talk about this afterwards. You know, so if you go a little bit farther and go to the top of Ahmed Bet, there's a little bit of a, a, a continuation about this, right? Which says, deve According to the Tana of, of the, uh, you know, the house of town Barabua, Dama afilu which talks about the case of Pegal, that even in that case, right, where the animal itself becomes a problem, right? You have to do a, a, a change of appearance before you can actually burn it and so they go through where do you know this from and so it says minalan yalif avon avon minotar right so do, so basically they're going to do a gezera Sheva using the words avon um, avon in the case of in the case of notar and so they're taking again a pasuk from vayikra Zion pasuk chet and again a pasuk in per in it pasuk chet where both says the word avon um, and so what it basically tells us that just by, with no tar, the meat that's been left over, right, it, it needs to, you, you can't, um, you know, you're going to have to burn it, but it needs to be left, it was left over. So you're not burning it in the time where it was allowed to be with pigul. We we're going to do the, uh, we're going to do the same thing. Um, and so, um, and then the Gemara says, Amar Lak. right? So this Tana of this, you know, the Academy of Ravavar will say to you. If this was the case, then that's chatat of Aaron that we were talking about. If it would have happened in later generations, it also would require, right, that, the, that it would change. But there, there was a decision with the case of Aaron's khatat that it had to be burned right away. And so there's background information here that you would not know necessarily from the da'af. But basically what it is, is, is that something happened to Aaron's chatat that it needed to be burned. And this actually will be a discussion in the Gemarins Vachim, which we're many, many years away from, um, which either says that the bead itself became Tame, or once Aaron's sons, Navad and Avihu died that day, he, Aaron and the other sons become, they become into a status of Oni, right? They're basically mourners. And a mourner is not allowed to eat any kadosh food, and so therefore they basically had to um, they had to burn it right away. So uh, what I'm taken by again on this whole daf is when it comes to this concept of needing to burn something, we're going to use this model of this first khatas of Aharon, which did not get eaten, which Moshe seems to be puzzled by, as a methodology or a proof. The Gemara brings a conversation which according to the Torah, it doesn't actually take place. But, you know, they, there's a missoir here that it did actually take place. Um, and I and again, I think this is just a challenging passage of Gemara because there's so much background information. You know, you really need to open up that Parakin Vayikra. You need to know this whole story with Nadav and Avihu to really understand what's going on in this stuff.
0: So just to add, I guess, a tiny bit from that story in, in Vayikra, I think that part of what happens is this dynamic between Moshe and Aaron. Like, let's set the scene, right? So Narev and Avihu have just brought, they've offered an H a Sherlotzi Vautama, right, that God did not command them to bring, and they are burned on the Mizbeach in a wild conflagration, right? The fire comes down from the heavens and And I have to imagine that whether this is and the Midrashim here, you know, mostly think that uh, that B'nai Aaron did a very bad thing. And that's why they have this very vivid, terrible death. And then there's a few Midrashim that will take the other approach and say, no, they were like being holy like a korban on the Mizbeach. But either way, if you are their father, you are in mourning. Right. And there's got to be some shock. Nobody expected for this to happen. So then when Moshe comes forward and says, you know, hello, Aaron, handle your korban the way you're supposed to right, the backdrop of they just did this korban that was not being handled the way they were supposed to. I can only imagine that Moshe was very edgy about this, right? This is his nephews, that everything should be done exactly the way it's supposed to be done. Moshe wants everything to be done exactly as he said they should do. And then Aaron speaks back to him and says, and he says, I'm reading here from Vaikra Yud Yud the 19th verse of the chapter 10, um Aharon and Moshe, See, this day they brought their sin offering, their burnt offering before the Lord. Meaning, he's talking about a burnt offering. That's his two sons. And these things that have befallen me, right? The, these, this happened to me. Were I to have eaten the sin offering today, do you really think? Now I'm in. in Interpolating some of my own words, but that's a hey, 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 hayitav. would it really be good in the eyes of God? And finally, Moshe accepts it. It takes a little while, right? And then he says, Oh, okay, you know, Aharon's case here has a point. He's got a point on this specific day when all of this has happened. I, I feel like the brotherly dynamic and the leadership dynamic and the real life circumstance of what happened in the humush having impact on the korban um you know Aaron's offering of this which is and i know you're dana i know you talked about this right that it's a it's a one of a kind right that circumstance that day never happens again because it's the Hakamata Mishkan, it's the establishment of the mishkan so so on the one hand it's we could just leave it as a, that's their story. That was only them. And instead, I think we gleaned so much from from it in terms of what's appropriate and, and so on.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's an interesting story. I always, I, for me, it's a troublesome story in Vayikra itself, where it takes place. Um, and I think we tend to read it as narrative. And, but seeing how they're going to learn sort of like final halachot on korbanot, um and and also the idea that Moshe sort of didn't understand what Arun was doing. Um, it's it says something about that dynamic between Moshe and Arun. Like you would have thought that Moshe understood or, or totally got what was going on, and we're basically saying he didn't. I think this whole dynamic in this story between Moshe and Aaron, um, we could spend a lot of time discussing. Um, and there's something uh, almost point, I mean, there's almost something like unsaid, even the way they record this conversation, where Aaron sort of just doesn't come out and say exactly what's going on. Um, I, a lot to unpack here. So that's going to be our top discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reveni Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the staff on our Talking Talent Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.